We're thankful for such a beautiful day. We're thankful for your presence. If you're visiting, as always, we encourage you to come back and be with us. We're so thankful that you have chosen to come and be with us today. It might be that you're looking for a church home, as always. We encourage you to consider the work here. We would be more than happy to have you come and be a part of this great church and to find a place to serve in this community. We're going to be looking today at 1 Peter chapter 1, the passage that was read just a moment ago in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, as we consider the theme, holiness is not an option. If you go back and look at the Old Testament, you'll see that God made a distinction between that which was holy and unholy between that which was clean and unclean, according to Leviticus chapter 10 at verse 10. In the Old Covenant, under the Old Covenant, the temple was different from all other buildings. The Sabbath day, different from all other days. Ancient Israel, they were different from the other nations about them. And really the thrust of what Peter is saying in 1 Peter chapter 1 is that as a New Testament Christian, we're supposed to be different. We are a distinctive people. Peter would say in chapter 2 at verse 9 that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So I want to look with you for just a moment or two at 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to begin by talking about the model for holiness. If we want to see what holiness is all about, then we look to none other than the Lord. Really, when we talk about the model for holiness... It's summed up in what Peter recorded from Leviticus chapter 11 at verses 44 and 45. When God said in the long ago, I am holy. Think with me for just a moment or two about the biblical profile of holiness. I mentioned the book of Leviticus. Five times in that book, we read of the expression, be holy for I am holy. God's people had been delivered from Egyptian bondage. And this newly redeemed nation of people, they had to learn how to approach a holy God. And so the book of Leviticus accentuates the holiness of God and God's chosen people coming before him. As we think about the expression, be holy for I am holy. What God is saying in that statement is that apart from all others, He is holy. There is none like Him. God is the perfect expression of holiness. Now in the Bible we read of those that had the opportunity to be in the presence of a holy God. Let me give you a couple of examples. 
Back in Exodus chapter 3, when God called Moses to ultimately become the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel, he instructed him on that occasion to remove his sandals because he said, the ground where you're standing is holy ground. Moses was in the presence of a holy God. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah said that in the year that King Isaiah died, he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne and he said, he was high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above it, he said, were the seraphim, that is, angelic beings. And they cried one to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah had the opportunity to be in the presence of a holy God, to see the holy God sitting upon his throne. When we come together to worship, we are in the presence of a holy God. And so God reminds us that in light of the fact that he is holy, he wants us to be holy. He wants us to remember that we are in his presence, that is, in the presence of holiness. Now, as we think about what Peter is saying, consider with me, if you would, for just a moment or two, about this mandate for holiness. And really, summed up in the words of Peter, when he said in verse 15, You also be holy in all your conduct. Let me just talk for a minute or two about the call that we have as God's people to be holy. Listen, if you would, to what Peter says in verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. God calls us out of the world through the gospel. The gospel, as you well know, is God's power to salvation. Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. When we come out of the world, we are said to be delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. The church today, when we talk about the church, in the original, it is the ecclesia, the called out, the community of the saved. We have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 9 that we are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's holy nation today is the church. That is, we belong to Him. We are His special people. We are His own possession. And so God has the right to dictate how we are to live. And what God is saying is, He wants us to live above the world and to live lives of holiness. To carry ourselves as New Testament Christians. 
Listen again to what Peter said. You also be holy in all your conduct. Now, one of the real challenges is, of course, conforming to the world. And so, go back and look for just a moment at verse 13. Peter said, therefore gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In ancient times, the people would wear an outer garment. And sometimes they would roll that garment or pull it up or gather it up, bind it up, so that they might engage in certain activities, work, to walk, to run, whatever. The idea here is that as a child of God, the Lord wants us to gird up the mind, that is, to bring it in subjection, to engage in certain activities that would bring about a holy demeanor. Holy conduct. How do we do that? How do we become more like God? We talk about God being the epitome of holiness. How then do I become like a holy God? Well, first of all, I have to spend time in prayer, don't I? We talk about the blessings of prayer. Communicating with God. Approaching His throne. One of the ways that I can bring my life in subjection to the will of God is through prayer, bowing in the presence of Almighty God, asking Him to help me develop, as Paul would say, the mind of Christ in Philippians chapter 2 at verse 5. It's interesting that Paul would say in Colossians chapter 4 at verse 2, that we are to continue steadfastly in prayer. He would say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, to pray without ceasing. Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer to his Father. Jesus demonstrated a holy life here upon a planet Earth. We are to be like him. We are to follow in his steps, as Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2. So what we have to do is cultivate... A holy mind. And one of the ways we do that is by bowing our heads in prayer to God. Asking Him to help, to strengthen, to purify. And then I think about the importance of reading and studying and meditating on the Word of God. The expression that Peter uses, girding up the loins of your mind. Really, a modern-day expression would be, roll up your sleeves and go to work. We do that by, as I said a moment ago, praying, and also by studying, spending time in God's holy word. How am I going to know the mind of God, the will of God, for my life if I never open His book? I understand that I communicate to a holy God through prayer. God communicates to me through His Holy Word. I'm not going to be holy. I'm not going to be what I ought to be if I never open this book. 
Think about the words of the psalmist many, many years ago when he said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. The world is filled with darkness. Jesus said that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. So the idea is that I want to walk in the light. I want to walk according to truth. I want to walk in harmony with the will of God. I can't know the will of God if I never open this book. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5 that we're not to be unwise, but rather we are to understand what the will of the Lord is. So as I open this book and begin to read and study and meditate and ponder over it, you remember in Psalm 1 at verse 2, the psalmist talked about how he meditated on the law of Jehovah day and night. And the idea there is that he was pondering over God's word. He's mauling it over, thinking it over. As I read and study and meditate on the truth of God, I see this is what God wants me to be. This is how he wants me to live. This is how he wants me to act. This is how he wants me to talk. Can't know it without opening this book. And then I think about worship. We're in the presence of a holy God. This building is not holy. But we are striving to be holy people in the presence of a holy God. When we come together to worship, it gives us the opportunity to pause in the middle of our busy lives and to reflect upon God, to think about His goodness, His mercy, His grace, His greatness. Every first day of the week, we come together and we engage in five acts of worship. We sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. In our singing, we teach and admonish one another. They're byproducts to our worship. Our worship is both vertical and horizontal in nature. It's horizontal from the vantage point that we're teaching one another as we sing. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, our minds go back to the cross. We remind ourselves of what Jesus did on Calvary and the fact that he died for our sins to atone us. And so every first day of the week, we think about the body that was given for us. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2 that he bore our sins in his body on the cross that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. He points out that not only did Jesus give his body for us, but he redeemed us by his blood in verse 18 and 19. As of a precious lamb without spot, without blemish. So as we partake of the cup, we remind ourselves of the blood of Jesus, without which there would be no remission of sins, according to Hebrews chapter 9, 22. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are bringing to memory, bringing to the forefront of our memory, the fact that God in heaven loved us enough to send His Son to die for our sins. We give of our means. Giving is an act of worship. We're giving back to our benefactor, to the one from whom all things flow, as James would say. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift in James 1.17. And then to bow our heads in prayer, to pray for one another, to pray for strength and wisdom and guidance. 
to know that we can pray for one another. And God hears our prayers. And then to listen to his word. To come to a better understanding of how God would have us to live here upon planet earth. You see, we talk about this book that's called the Bible. And Paul would say that we are to preach the Word. And the reason we preach the Word and teach the Word is because that's what feeds the soul. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, these are some ways that we can roll up our sleeves and get busy and be submissive to the will of God and then to be involved in the work of the church. Again, rolling up our sleeves and getting busy. Paul said that we're to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the word of the Lord. God wants his people to be busy in his kingdom. Why is that? Because we are his hands and feet. We are the ones that execute His will on planet earth. The kingdom of God, one of the reasons the kingdom of of God exists is to carry the gospel into all the world. To be a light shining in the midst of a darkened world. To bring honor and glory to Almighty God. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that there are some challenges to our holiness. So listen, if you would, to what Peter said in verse 14. As obedient children, note that phrase, as obedient children, there are only two possibilities in life. We can live in obedience to the will of God or we can live in disobedience to the will of God. That choice is an individual choice. I have to decide in my own mind, am I going to live in obedience to the will of God? Or am I going to refuse to live in compliance to his will? You remember Jesus asked the question on one occasion, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? On another uh, another occasion, Jesus said that only those who do the will of the Father have the hope of life eternal in Matthew chapter 7. So in verse 14, he said, As obedient children not conforming or fashioning ourselves to our former lust as in your ignorance. I want you to think for just a minute about your life before you became a Christian. You were living in darkness, weren't you? That is spiritual darkness. It may have been the case that you didn't know any better. There are a lot of folks that are living in sin. They're living unholy lives, and they don't know any better. We live in a country in which many, many homes have access to God's Word. The problem is not that we don't have access to the Word. It's we don't read the Word. And so there are a lot of people in our world today, they are completely ignorant of God's Word. But Peter here is saying, look, before you became a Christian, you fashioned your life, you conformed your life to the ways of the world. Why? Because you were living for self. The devil 
was in complete control. You remember Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, talked about the God of this age blinding the mind. There are a lot of people in our world caught up in the world. And as Jesus said, they love darkness rather than light. But we've obeyed the gospel. And Peter is saying, since you obeyed the gospel, and Peter would go on to say in 2 Peter chapter 2, that we escape the corruptions that are in the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's the picture. We've obeyed the gospel. At one time, we lived lives of unholiness. We lived for self. We did as we pleased. But Peter's saying, look, you are now a child of the king. You belong to the Lord. You can't live as you please. And what he's saying is, you don't need to go back and live as you once lived. Why? Because that old person, that old man, that old woman is dead. You gave that way of life up. You can't go back and live like you once did. You don't live like you used to. You don't act like you used to. You don't talk like you used to. Why? Because you're a child of God. The danger sometimes is rather than being obedient children, we live in defiance to His will. Rather than having our lives transformed by the power of God's Word, we are conformed. We become like the world once again. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter is very graphic in his picture of somebody who escapes the corruption that is in the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ but becomes entangled therein again. And Peter said, they are overcome. They go back to the world. They go back to living as they used to live. They go back to that old lifestyle. And Peter's saying, we don't have a right to do that. Why is that? Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. All he's saying is, you belong to the king. God owns you lock, stock, and barrel. God wants you to live a life of holiness. In Romans chapter 6, Paul contrasts the old man of sin and the new man in Christ. He asked the question, what fruit had you in those things whereof you're now ashamed? The end of those things is death, but he said, now you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. There's a third thing I want you to see very quickly. And that is the motivation for holy living. What's the catalyst? Why should I want to live a holy life? Well, let me just sum it up by giving two reasons. Number one, because one day we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Listen to what Peter said again in verse 13, Therefore gird, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The bottom line is one day Jesus is going to come. 
He'll come as a thief in the night, as Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Jesus would say of that day and hour, Knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Now look at verse 17. We talk about the second coming of Jesus. Peter said, If you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work. Here's the bottom line. One day Jesus will come and we will be in His presence. We will stand before, as Paul said, the judgment seat of Christ. Why do I need to live a holy life? Because I'm going to be in the presence of Almighty God one day. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verse 2, that the judgment of God is according to truth. It's not according to opinion. It's not according to political polls. It's not according to what I think or I want or I wish. It's according to truth. God's holy word. In Revelation chapter 20, John pictures the he pictures the revelation of Jesus and the judgment to come. And he said, I saw the dead, the small and great, standing before the throne. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. There's coming a day in which the books will be opened. God's word. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2 that he will render to every man according to their works. In about verse 6. In verse 11 he said, there is no partiality with God. He's no respecter of persons. Doesn't matter how great somebody is in the world. Doesn't matter how much money they have, how much land they own. The bottom line is one day we'll all stand before God. The only thing that's going to matter is whether or not we have lived a holy life. So one day we'll be before him. Paul said, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us must give an account of himself to God. So why do I need to live a holy life? Because one day I'm going to stand before Almighty God on the day of judgment. I need to understand that. And we talk about motivation for living a holy life. I want you to think about something for a minute. Are there people that, that you love and cherish that are in eternity right now? And you know right now they're in the hands of God. They're in that place we call paradise. You know they're there because they lived a faithful life, because they lived in accordance with the will of God. You know they're there. I want to ask you a question. Do you want to be there with them one day? You want to be, you want to be there with them for the rest of eternity? That is a strong motivation for living a holy life. I think about people that have lost loved ones. I think about Eddie. Eddie lost his son a few months ago. Let me tell you what. You want motivation to live a Christian life? You want the motivation necessary to stay out of the world? That's motivation. I wouldn't do anything to jeopardize that. It's real world. All of us lose people from time to time. The bottom line is, if we want to be with those who have died in Christ, we've got to walk as the Lord would have us to walk, to live as He would have us to live. If we don't, we'll miss out. 
Let me give you a second reason very quickly. Not only because we're going to be in the presence of the Lord, but because we want to please the Lord. Listen to what, listen if you would to what Peter said. Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your sojourning. Some translations say the time of your stay here in fear. I like that term, stay. We're just here for a little while. Sometimes people say, where are you? Sometimes people will ask the question, where are you staying? Well, I get that. We are described by Peter as sojourners, as pilgrims in verse 11 of chapter 2. The idea is we're just passing through this world. One day it'll all be over with. But as I pass through this life, I want to live in such a way so that I please God. The idea when he talks about conducting ourselves in fear. I understand the reverence and the awe that we're to have for God. But the idea is that we don't want to do anything that would disappoint Him, that would displease Him. Think about your parents for a minute. There are some parents that have had such a great relationship with their children. Their children wouldn't do certain things because they knew if they did those things, it would hurt them. As a young person, that may be your case today. There are certain things you just wouldn't do. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go out and drink, smoke, and do other things because you know that would hurt your folks. It would crush them. By the same token, what Peter is saying is there are certain things that we just don't do. Yes, maybe we'd like to do it. But what Peter is saying is we don't do it because we know if we do it, it will crush our Heavenly Father. It will break His heart. We can please God. How do we please Him? By honoring His Word. Do you remember, you remember when Jesus was, remember when He was transfigured on the mountaintop and God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased? As His children one day, we can hear Him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. All he's saying is, I'm pleased with you. He's not pleased if we don't do his will, but he is pleased if we do. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you living a holy life or an unholy life? There's no gray area. It's either you're in or you're out. You're holy or you're unholy. You're living right or you're living wrong. You're living for God or you're living for the world. I mean, it's just that plain. God wants you to live a holy life. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you can begin that holy journey by obeying the gospel. The Bible says that if you will put your faith and trust in Him, Believing Him to be the Son of God, repenting of your sins and confessing His name and being immersed in water, 
that you will enjoy the remission of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38. God will then put you in the church, His holy nation, Acts 2, 47. And if you'll be faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2, 10. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not faithful, your life's not what it ought to be. Why not come home? Let us pray with you and for you. James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. We'd be happy to do that for you and with you today as we stand and sing.